This is Norse Code, the number one podcast for your Minnesota Vikings, with your hosts, Arif Hassan, Dusty O'Connell, and James Pagoshnik. Welcome to Norse Code, everyone. And I haven't been here for a while, so I barely know what I'm doing right now. Hey, Dusty, how's it going? <laughs> uh, hey, James, good to hear from you. It's, uh, it's been a while, and uh, the fans have been clamoring for a, uh, a panel show, so we, we decided we would give it to you on our Thursday night recap. We Interesting that you chose to use the word right now when you're talking about whether or not you knew what you were doing. Yeah, also true. And uh, we have a reef from the uh, Daily Norseman. How you doing, Arif? Yeah, I'm all right. I mean, I feel like this is the least up I've been after a win. I've, this is, <laughs> I'm usually pretty excited after wins. But to be fair, something just like really like mind-bottlingly ridiculous happened right at the end of the game, which kind of left a lot of people with uh, with ice pick headaches. No kidding. Yeah, are we going to start with that, or are we going to build up to it? I, th- I think we almost have to, uh, to build up to it. I, you know, before we start here, I do want to point out that uh, we're, we're doing this right after the game. Uh, it's, it's late. The kids are all asleep. The, uh, the press has all gone home from the, uh, from the Metrodome. Ziggy Wolf beat traffic and is now home as well. Ziggy Wolf has beat traffic and is currently admiring his mustache. Later, we're going to get Dusty doing, a, uh, doing an acapella cover of the Miley Cyrus hit, We Won't Stop. It's uh, pre-recorded, just so you know. I, uh, <laughs> I'm too tired from not, cheering to actually sing it live. This was, this was not a one-take thing, sadly. <laughs> but before we, before we break down the halves here, uh, overall, impression of, uh, overall impression of the game, Dusty? Um, Ship of Fools. Uh, I want to reference again the uh, the the old timey like football tabletop game where you just turn on the field and it vibrates and like players fall down and eventually one of them like gets into the end zone. In this case, it was just Kevin Williams tackling the other vibrating guy three times. <laughs> it was John Carlson somehow always being in front of everyone when the vibration began. <laughs> he had the extra. He had the extra magnet. How about you, Arif? Uh, I mean. You just have the feeling that when you roll two incompetent dice, one's going to end up with a higher number most of the time, right? Unless it's a complete tie. Someone has to win. And uh, this time it was the Vikings. So I don't know how I feel about the fact that the Vikings won in this particular way. I am glad they won. Yeah, I'm not too emphatic about it, obviously. But, you know, I prefer that they win over losing. There's a certain lack of enthusiasm in everyone's voice right now. I'm ecstatic. I think it's fantastic that we actually won a game despite the fact that our defense was comparable to a war crime in the first half. And we won our first game of the season on American soil. Yep, the uh, the Vikings had not won a game since uh, uh, since on the field before the uh, before the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, God save the Queen was sung. Look, I uh, I think it's fair for us to be a little uh, tepid in our enthusiasm because you could tell just watching the game at the Metrodome, you know, even though we were in the game for most of it, you know, we were scoring enough points to make it, you know, close so that when we just refused to play defense any further than the, uh, than the defensive line, uh, we didn't get completely blown out. But I mean, even the fans were just kind of like, yay, woo, 
yay. I mean, last play of the game, we're up by four. The the third and fourth down where we absolutely need a stop. Jared Allen is out there like, come on, guys, cheer. Like, be loud. Like, slow him <laughs> down. Like, if that was Seattle, that place would have been insane. And in Minnesota, and they're cheer. just like, oh, and yeah, cheer. we're doing great. <laughs> and cheer, not boo, which they had been doing for basically the whole second half of the game. Well, I mean, the the feel of the game is just so much different when like like imagine like if you expect to win you're pumped up about this third down stop all we need to do this is to win but when you expect to lose basically what you're saying is man we are going to screw up and it'll be interesting if we don't like that's and when when if if you are expecting to win and then lose there's like a lot of emotion involved whereas if you're expecting to lose and then win you're just sort of left with a sense of uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, it's not like we did well, though. <laughs> that's, uh, that's accurate. Uh, well, let's, let's go into the, uh, let's go into the first half here. Because this really was a game of two halves. Almost a game of, like, the first half almost could have lasted the, nearly the entirety of the third quarter. But the first half of the game, the Viking secondary was god-awful. And the deep and the linebacker play was almost non-existent. Just absolute, absolute ridiculousness. Well, uh, I mean, the first half of the game was obviously significantly worse for the defense in a lot of ways. But I think actually, I don't know that the linebackers with the secondary played significantly better in the first half versus the second half. I just thought the defensive line was significantly better in the second half. And one of the things that I'd probably point to. Um, not that, you know, there were some significant changes that the linebackers made, but one of the things that I'd point to is, you know, when, when Sharif Floyd, for example, was playing nose tackle, uh, you know, he got moved off the ball pretty quickly, um, which allowed, you know, uh, you know, Alfred Morris to generate over seven yards per carry in the first quarter. And then, you know, a little bit, a little bit less than that in the second quarter to finish around six yards per carry in the first half overall. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that there were big gaps opened up. But I think that one of the improvements that the linebackers made over the second half uh, was uh, gap discipline. In the first half, you know, people were just clearly out of their gaps on, um, you know, one of the Alfred Morris runs. It looked like Aaron Henderson and, and Brian Robeson were shooting the exact same gap. And so there was this huge opening uh, between the nose tackle and the defensive end. Uh, that Alfred Morris, I mean, you could you could drive a car through it. Alfred Morris was more than willing to do something similar. Pretty much. I mean, Alfred Morris is not a slouch of a running back at all. And he's having quite the, quite the phenomenal little year. And he just ran up and down the field for that first half. Yeah. Um, it, it, it looks like uh, the, in the first half alone, it says here that he had 139 yards. Is that right? Uh, or is that overall? All right. Mm, that no, was overall. overall, yeah, 139 overall. I think he had uh, like 88 yards or something, 90 yards ish at the end of the first half. Okay, yeah, that, I mean that that feels about right too. Um, yeah, Alfred Morris was was clearly one of the bigger problems, uh, and and he appeared to be a much bigger problem in the first half. The the one of the one of the greatest concerns I think is just when when Vikings players and most significantly Anderson Deho, but he's not alone in this. Uh, were able to get to him, they, they didn't bring him down. He was just shedding tackles left and right. And, you know, that's not to say he doesn't have, like, a history of being able to force missed tackles. I mean, but that was preposterous, what he was able to do to those players out there. 
and not just Alfred Morris. Uh, Dusty, what was going on with uh, with Pierre Garçon and every other like receiver? No one could tackle anybody. Well, it's the same story we've been saying, you know, over and over and over. And it was so bad that everybody noticed. I mean, even in the fourth quarter, one of the NFL Network announcers was like, "I just want Xavier Rhodes to make a play." And I mean, our, <laughs> like, our, our, our secondary is just really, really good at leaving people wide open. There was, a, there was an excellent photo on Twitter uh, that we'll probably have retweeted uh, from Blatant Skins fan where on fourth and goal, a, game, a potentially you know, game-tying drive that would have sent the game into, the, into overtime, uh, I can't read the numbers on the jerseys, but there's a guy right at the line of scrimmage wide open who could have easily caught that pass and taken it to the end zone because... You know, our secondary just has this nasty habit of doubling up on a receiver or doubling up on the wrong receiver or biting too soon on a defensive route or moving into the wrong zone. I mean, it's like it's like there's always one guy who insists on screwing the play up. Well, yeah, it looks like that's uh, that's Jordan Reed who's open, which would actually make perfect sense given the Vikings' history with tight ends, which we discussed in the game preview. And we were uh, so right. The Vikings set us up very neatly to be to look like geniuses when they allowed two touchdowns from uh, from tight ends. If that tight end touchdown happened on the on fourth and goal, that building would have exploded. People would have been hung outside. Like that is that would have just been it. Like, you would have just seen an entire generation of Vikings fans going peace out. Would have escaped <laughs> <from> LA. <laughs> like we're we're we're, we're done. We're, you you can't do this anymore. We will pay the tickets to go. We will pay like the money for you to leave this town forever. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I'm I'm actually sort of surprised that you know, sort of given the rapport that uh, that RG three has developed with uh, with Jordan Reed specifically over the past couple of weeks, uh, that he at least didn't see if uh, if Reed was open against what was clearly you know a fairly significant mismatch, uh, and obviously it turned out to be a mismatch. What I find interesting is that uh, because of the way the Vikings played coverage, which you know understandable and, and makes sense, uh, sort of. Um, given how off the coverage is, there's in fact another player open, uh, and my guess, is, and you know he's not open in the end zone. My guess is that that player is Pierre Garcon, although again, uh, I don't really have like the replay on me. Um, and uh, and if he catches the ball, he would walk into the end zone uh, because all Jordan Reed has to do is turn around and block Chad Greenway out, something he had already been able to do uh, pretty easily. Uh, that I mean, it looks pretty like much- it was a. Uh, Every opportunity after the first quarter, right? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Speaking of Pierre, Chief Ball Spinner Garcon. (laughs) Yeah, what was up with that? Has he been doing that every game and I just missed it? Well, no, he's been doing it. I think he did it more in this game. He's always been doing it for touchdowns. But this game, like, he made, like, a five-yard reception and then ran for seven more yards and got up at midfield and, like, spun the ball. I mean, like, I guess first downs are pretty cool. Yeah, and just like I think I only saw him not do it once, which is I mean it's fine, you know I like celebration, but like did he just like did he just learn how to spin a ball yesterday and he's showing off? Like what's the deal with that? I don't know, but any time that the uh, that RG three needed a reception, boy Pierre Garcon was right there. We could not do a thing to stop him. Well, and he played a game that looked. I mean, I'd have to see. They don't have the stats up on Pro Football Reference yet. In fact, they don't even have the win up. Um, and I can only see his uh, total game like receptions and yards in the box score. But he only had seven receptions, but he had them for 119 yards. And we had predicted in uh, the last episode that he would 
receive maybe more yards in the air and not run after the catch as he is so famous for doing. But that turned out to be a lie because uh, he ended up doing both. And I suspect he will end up with more yards after catch than he did through the air again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's always been a little bit of a yak artist, but especially since uh, moving to Washington. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really frustrating because, you know, you and I and, uh, you know, and a lot of fans can, like, you know, watch a couple of, of Redskins games fairly casually and sort of identify, you know, sort of what the Redskins like to do, at least from a, a base level, a base perspective. And, uh, and you can generally figure out, you know, given what the Vikings' strengths are, given what their weaknesses are, given what, you know, Garcon's strengths are and weaknesses are, uh, you know, maybe, maybe an optimal, maybe not a, not, not a solution you try 100% of the time, but an optimal solution uh, to that problem um, to use like maybe 60, 70% of the time and then tailor the rest of your responses to that. And, uh, you know, given how physical Xavier Rhodes is, you know, given sort of the physique that Josh Robinson has, uh, you'd think that, you know, maybe you wouldn't play as much off coverage against a team that's so dependent on yards after the catch. Maybe you try to challenge them at the line, disrupt the timing, um, and, uh, and, and make sure that, you know, someone like Pierre Garçon doesn't, you know, get the ball, you know, three yards, you know, uh, you know, from the line of scrimmage and then turn that into like a 12 yard gain. And the Vikings weren't really doing that. Um, and I anything we, the Vikings are terrible at, it's making sure that receivers do not get the ball. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that, <laughs> we we've let receivers have their day, and uh, again, I, I do want to give Alan Williams a, a, a small degree of latitude, given sort of the injuries he's had to deal with, and the fact that you just have to simplify a playbook for a bunch of you know defensive backs who really haven't played very many games with each other, um, you know who are rotating and who are still new, uh, you know to each other, and uh, you want to make sure that there aren't communication breakdowns because that's just more important to solve than than having a completely set up scheme, but. I would think that you know, uh, you know, a press zone type of uh, of coverage would be would be fairly significant and important. Uh, and I, I just want to, you know, throw in there to to kind of bookend this is that uh, it's not fair to pick on the Vikings defense. I mean, it's fair to pick on them, but you know, maybe maybe we're taking it a little far because the Vikings are playing pretty thin at a lot of key positions. Only forty four guys dressed for the game. And another two were listed as active, but they were wearing street clothes. So it's not like we've got, and you know, this kind of builds off what you were saying, you know, players being new to each other. You know, we've got so many backups out there and so many guys that haven't, you know, had an opportunity to build that chemistry that, you know, maybe, maybe asking them to do things like bat down passes without drawing interference penalties is uh, a bridge too far. <laughs> well, maybe you're setting the bar a little low. <laughs> uh, but, uh, well, I mean, with the, the thing is, I was I would be I would have been willing to give a lot of the secondary, uh, you know, a pass on a lot of the things that happened g- given that. But one of the biggest issues was the linebackers who were all the starters on day one. You know, despite that injury to Desmond Bishop, those were the starters from day one. Those are the starters in training camp, and uh, and you know the defensive line was missing like Latroy Guyon, sure, but it's not like you know Latroy Guyon was like the linchpin of that defense. As much as the nose tackle is important in a traditional Tampa 2 set, the Vikings are not building around LaTroy Guyon, right? They're, they're building around Kevin Williams and Jared Allen. And then, uh, you know, sort of that's like sort of the fulcrum of the defense. And, you know, knowing where they are, the rest of the linebackers should know where they need to be. And unless Sharif Floyd uh, or, or Kevin Williams, when he was playing nose tackle, uh, or Chase Baker are hitting the wrong gaps, just kind of hard to believe that they would, 
then you know there's not really an excuse for the linebacker play. So that that's my bigger issue, sort of what the veterans who already knew what they were doing were out there doing. Well, Kevin Williams was able to, I mean, he did do a lot of things wrong in that game, but he was able to do a few things right, including picking up his first game with two sacks since 2009. Yeah, and uh, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think that Kevin Williams was, was by any means, you know, a detriment to, to the team. He was a huge boon, and I think those two sacks were only a small part of his positive contribution. Um, I just think that I, I just wanted to emphasize the fact that the linebackers have played with largely that defensive line before, and so the fact that they couldn't get things done was a problem. But I, I, we, we should highlight the fact that Kevin Williams did have a good game aside from those two sacks. He, um, you know, he was instinctive. Uh, he was able to suss out screen passes really easily. He, you know, he stopped his pass rush. Uh, in order to attack the screen, uh, which is actually very difficult for a defensive lineman to do, and especially difficult for someone lined up as a nose tackle to do. So I was uh, pleasantly surprised by some of the things he was able to get done. And actually, they, uh, they're actually giving him credit for two and a half sacks in, uh, in the official box score. Right, because of the, that sack at the end of the game that was just three players burying RG3. Yeah. Yep, they gave, uh, they gave Kevin Williams and Jared Allen the sack on that. Not the, uh, not, I think it was Everson Griffin, I think, was the third player. They didn't give him anything? They did end up giving him just a normal sack. Yeah, just the, for, yeah, uh, just the one sense, sack yeah. they had. Okay. Um, well, I mean, the, they might end up correcting that or changing that in some way. I don't know. But, um, you know, it was, it, it, it was good to see the defensive line playing as well as it did. Even, even people who, uh, who didn't rack up, uh, you know, gaudy stats. Like Brian Robeson, I don't think, had a single sack. But I think it's fair to say that he played pretty well. Well, let's go over to the, uh, since we're still in the first half, let's talk about the uh, Vikings offense. And uh, first, let's start with the ugly. And uh, Ponder, on the first drive, on third down, throws a pass to no one and uh, ends up getting picked. That was so Picked hard. That baffling. was so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah I, I thought Merriweather was going to do something stupid in the game. Turned out he ended up getting the pick of the game. <laughs> the <laughs> only true. pick of the game. I was I was genuinely surprised to see that other than that and the uh, and the play where uh, we were penalized, where Xavier Rose was penalized, I didn't really see any you know big swat downs that could have been picks, and there were zero defensive fumble recoveries. Like it was, uh, both teams did a pretty decent job of ball control, except for when the game started out in a very, very Vikings fashion. Yeah, uh, it was. I mean, as soon as that happened, you know. Not that many people were inflated going into the game, but a lot of people deflated, right? <laughs> deflated even more, like those anti-drug commercials where the girl's like sitting on the couch, like just completely, <laughs> like with all the air and fluids sucked out of her. Yeah, <laughs> that was basically what, what a Vikings fan would be feeling as soon as they saw. Well, because it wasn't even like, that wasn't even the first problem of that, of that drive, right? It was, the, it was the sack given up by Matt Khalil uh, on Christian Ponder, and you were just like, oh, well, now it starts. I guess this is Vikings football, and then Ponder throws a pick, and you're just like, "Yeah, okay, fine." I, you know, I, I luckily the good thing about a short week is that I don't build myself too much. I don't convince myself that the Vikings can win, and now I'm not I'm not too disappointed, but I'm still like really sad that I have to reality check this early in the week. One of those. Oh, I've seen this movie before. Oh, look here it comes. Yeah. Okay, but but the crazy thing about this was that it wasn't the movie we've all seen before and the movie that we were all expecting because after like if you take away the one you know pass for a pick, I mean, and Leslie Frazier mentioned this in the post game press conference how you know Ponder was able to, able to overcome uh, being sacked and then you know falling on his face very very early in the game. If you take away the pick, he went eighteen for twenty for one hundred and seventy four yards and two touchdowns. 
He was incredible. Like, not just not, – and, and to be fair, that's like 20 passes. That's not like huge. But if you're a good quarterback, you tend to have, you know, slightly fewer passes until it gets to the point where your running game isn't very good and then you have more passes to make up for it. Um, but, I mean, even knowing like, maybe it's only 20 passes, he had a – I mean, he had a, a great game after – that interception. And it's not like you can eliminate that interception when you're analyzing the game because, of course, it led to three points that, you know, ended up being maybe not, you know, hugely significant given that the Vikings won by seven, but uh, at the time uh, seemed pretty significant until the Vikings could pull away, you know, in the fourth quarter with a pair of field goals. So, uh, you know, if you, if you took that away, um, you know, Christian Ponder you know, had a, had a pretty phenomenal game, right? It's, uh, it's 174 yards. Uh, and then if you add in uh, the, uh, if you, if you add in the, uh, if you add in the touchdowns, um, that's 214 adjusted yards. Uh, and that's 10.7 adjusted yards per attempt, uh, a little bit less adjusted net yards per attempt, but that's an elite number. That's a number that uh, goes up at sort of the, the highest levels of play. For example, Nick Foles in that in that stupid game against the Oakland Raiders had um, uh, ended up averaging as a result of that game above ten net, uh, adjusted net yards per attempt, and now leads the league in adjusted net yards per attempt. So uh, that is that is significant. That is huge, and that that's a great game. Um, so the fact that ESPN gave him a QBR of ninety five, uh, well, that's finally an accurate read of I think how well he played. Um, yeah, that interception happened early in the game instead of late in the game. So QBR, which, you know, weights clutchness, uh, functionally eliminated it, uh, from their analysis. So it's a pretty accurate read on what happens if you get rid of the interception. Uh, that said, I, I don't know what happened on the interception, but I'm glad that everything afterwards was, uh, you know, was good. And I'll be completely honest. Second or third quarter Christian Ponder was probably the best because after that pick, uh, after that pick, I wasn't hugely uh, impressed by any particular throws that he made. He was just consistently, you know, all right. You know, uh, you know, he made a pass that you'd expect most quarterbacks to make. And, but, but then he kept making those passes. He had like a, a string of consecutive receptions. And uh, the thing about that is, while none of them were impressive, the fact that he didn't miss any or the fact that none of them sort of hit the ground or did anything poor uh, is, is better than you'd expect an average quarterback. So if you cut up his film from that first half, and and you just looked at it like as a prospect or whatever, you wouldn't have walked away impressed. But when you, you combine that all together, uh, and and realize that oh he didn't screw up for a long time in in that series of plays, you know that's pretty good. Uh, especially because the first two passes after that pick, I was not actually that impressed with. Like the first pass was all right, and then the second pass was nearly picked, and I was just like done. Right? It was a pass to John Carlson who wrestled it away. I think it was nearly a pick, and he wrestled it away. And, um, you know, I was like, well, there's another terrible pass. Just, we got lucky there. This is going to happen all night, but we're not always going to be lucky. And then we, uh, we weren't in that situation again. Yeah, he didn't make it pretty, but he, he became effective. Here's my question, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It appeared as if, and the same thing with the, with the Cowboys game from Sunday, it appeared as if Washington was letting him get his first read. And he wasn't actually having to change that at all. He was just getting his first read on things. Or if he scrambled, after he scrambled, he would get his first read. Yeah, it seemed like he was getting first or second almost every time. I can think of one or two spots where he was throwing on the run where it looked like he had to, you know, go down a little bit. 
in his uh, in his you know receiver list or whatever. But uh, but just staring down the receiver the entire time. Yeah, I mean, just occasionally he would uh, he would move beyond that. But I think you're right that he mostly would be able to hit his first read. But you know, credit to and you know we don't often say this, but credit to Bill Musgrave for designing plays that attack the Redskins' defense in a particular way that would allow that first read to be open. Uh, because Ponder didn't just throw screen passes. Like, that was his criticism, right, coming out of, uh, coming out of this year, right, into this year, um, coming out of last year, uh, was that he'd throw a lot of short passes, and a lot of them were very short, but a lot of the, a lot of the plays were designed in such a way that the first read would get open. So, yeah, the, the degree of difficulty that Ponder had in this game was, was not particularly high. But even when you adjust for that, even when you adjust for that, uh, it, was, you know, it, was a, it was a pretty good game. So Adrian Peterson had a halfway decent uh, first half as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, you could say I, that. That is one way to put that. Yeah. So do you guys remember like years ago when Adrian Peterson was like was having serious issues with ball control? Yeah, it was, it was a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean he hasn't given up a fumble since week four. Knock on wood. But I mean, this game in particular, you know, he was just blasting into the defensive line and taking guys along to for like a few more yards before going down. And never once was there one of those moments where, you know, he's got the ball way out in front of him, just waiting to be swatted away. And never once did it squirt out when he got tackled. And he definitely got tackled a couple of times in this game. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he he took a he took a lot of hard hits, and you know it, it's good that he was able to hold on to the ball given sort of his his previous issues. Although I do remember uh, when people were talking about his ball control issues, a lot of people brought up, uh, you know, if you shake that dude's hand, you're probably going to lose a couple of fingers. Like it's nuts. Why would he have ball control issues? Uh, so you know, credit to the the strength of you know Adrian Peterson in general to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen. But you know, clearly. You know, he's been able to focus on that the last few years that even, you know, these these crazy runs where he has to run through piles of people, many of whom are going for the 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 you know, the strip the strip or the turnover instead of the tackle, um, are uh, are are just not getting things done, even though they themselves are, you know, obviously fairly strong individuals. So uh you know, there's just like one of the many things that stood out uh to Adrian Peterson in this game, which I mean, he had a he had a phenomenal game. Well, we can't talk about the first half without talking about John, the freaking man, Carlson. Yeah, I, how <laughs> did that? It just came out of nowhere. The weirdest thing to me is that a lot of times Carlson was doing stuff. You know, he was doing stuff that Rudolph would do a lot of times, but a lot of times he wasn't. A lot of times he was doing stuff that, you know, that typically wasn't necessarily assigned to Rudolph. You know, that, that play where he was just crazy open and then was able to farm his way in for a touchdown. You that know, was the uh, most open he's been in his entire career. Yeah, absolutely. There was no one between him and the end zone. No one. Yeah. And uh, that's, not like a, that's not like a route design that, that, that Rudolph ran a lot or was featured in. Right, I mean, it's just a random route. He just happened to be like crazy freaking open. So it's not like it's not like Rudolph held Carlson back, right? Which would be a crazy thing to think. Uh, it just so happened that Carlson had this crazy good game the same time that Rudolph, uh, you know, was that because he wasn't doing the same things Rudolph was doing, and he clearly wasn't the first to read on a lot of plays. Uh, he just happened to uh, match up really well to the Redskins. 
Derek Wetmore reports that John Carlson explained his big performance by saying, I had egg whites and oatmeal for breakfast today. I salted it a little more than normal. <laughs> well, keep on salting if that's what's going to happen. More Outstanding. salt. I think, uh, I think salting things a little more than normal should become a trope for, uh, for outstanding performances. <laughs> we just want to make sure that nobody gets too, too, uh, too salty out there. No, you only want to salt it a little more than normal. You don't want to, we don't need, we don't need high blood pressure and, uh, and salty people all over the place. Yeah. So that was the first half. We were down. We were quite discouraged by the end and we still hadn't made Washington punt. In fact, <laughs> the, I, the no I had punt tweeted, streak continues. <laughs> yeah. I had actually tweeted out, uh, cause I'd actually, I'd looked it up the last time that we had made anyone punt in the Metrodome was when the Panthers were playing. Oh God. And cause we did, cause, uh, cause green Bay, green Bay didn't punt the entire time. It was the six minute mark of the fourth quarter <laughs> of, of the Panthers game, which if you recall, the Panthers did in fact go on to win in, in, in crushing fashion too. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not pretty. So, Second half, it starts, and Ponder is playing out of his mind. Yeah, well, so this is interesting. So the second half starts, you know, 10 points down. And, you know, at that point, I was thinking about tweeting something like, oh, the Redskins enter the second half with an insurmountable 10-point lead. If you could, because you were in Twitter jail. Yeah, I was in Twitter jail at the time, which uh, it was probably a good thing I didn't tweet that. Um, but, <laughs> but then but then the, the defense allows the, the Redskins to to get a field goal. And I guess Ponder wasn't having any of it. Yeah, that, uh, he did not seem to approve of that situation. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was nice to see him play, uh, you know, so well. It wasn't like that he was, you know, more decisive in the pocket, although he was. And it wasn't that, you know, he had, you know, so much more awareness or poise or was stepping up into pressure because, you know, honestly, there wasn't a, a ton of pressure um, you know, it well, wasn't it, that all of the things that we criticize him for went away. They just didn't matter. Well, yeah, and, and he was able to perform without committing a series of boneheaded screw-ups at really crucial times. Like, he was able to just go out there and execute and, you know, play his game. And I think he, you know, once he kind of got into that rhythm after that first pick in the first half, then, I mean, things went really smoothly for him, and he was running on all gears, which I think might be why he did another very unchristian ponder-like thing and decided to run the ball in for a touchdown on the play where he dislocated his shoulder. That's not that's, that's a pretty Christian ponder. No, that's very Christian ponder. The only thing that was strange was that he got hurt moving like with where he put his arm. Like he he normally just runs in as hard as he can. He he rarely dives for it like that's that. That's true. He's not a fan of the extend. Yeah. No. Um. It was interesting. Someone asked me, you know, why would you extend with one arm instead of two? Uh, you know, I thought about that because, you know, and he was like, I know I'm nitpicking, but a serious question, like, why would you do it? Um, you know, I thought about that. And I was, you know, that's like not a terrible question to ask, especially given what just happened, right? Um, and, uh, and I was like, well, hold on. That's just sort of what you do, though, right? That's why so many receivers one-hand the ball, because it gives them, it, it does give them more range, right? It gives them like a larger catch radius if they can catch things with one hand, right? And you just feel yeah. a lot more comfortable doing it too. Yeah. And they can turn a little bit and they'll have a longer reach as a result. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it's, and, it's a, and it's a, I feel like it's similar. 
it's a significantly more natural motion too. Like I guess if you really want Ponder to be really, really good at rushing in touchdowns with two hands instead of one, maybe next week in practice he can do, you know, 300 iterations of jumping into the end zone with both arms extended instead of one. But I think there are better ways for him to spend his time. (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't really matter, because if he would have done the two-arm thing anyway, it still wouldn't have gotten in the end zone. In fact, it might have fumbled, stayed inside of, uh, stayed in, uh, stayed inside of the, uh, inside the field, and gotten picked up by a, uh, gotten picked up by a Redskins. Something hilarious that would only happen to the Vikings would have happened. Yeah, like, you know, a pass that lands on the guy's jersey, and then, you know, gets picked up and gets run for a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something that could only, something that could only happen to the Vikings. Yay. What's uh so just because I have the number up after the uh, after the Carlson touchdown? Guess what Christian Ponder's uh, passer rating was? Right after the touchdown? No, uh, after, after, after be the touchdown. To after the touchdown to Carlson, he had a one hundred and eleven point eight, even with the interception. Oh, wow! Good for him. Yeah, he he was on fire, and then he gets the shoulder to the uh, he gets the helmet to the shoulder. Well, and it wasn't the it wasn't the hit on the shoulder because he he uh, he hurt his left shoulder. Like the the helmet hit him on the right, and he said in the press conference that he was like, "Yeah, I guess the the impact of the ground just popped it out." So I went to the sideline, and they popped it back in. <laughs> Ugh. That's so Chad Pennington. Well, and he, well, and he said he felt fine and probably could have gone back into the game, but he was like, "Yeah, there was some pain, and they they figured it would be best just to you know let me let me sit out a little while," which makes me think that. Uh, the Josh Freeman thing might just be, you know, money flushed down the toilet because if they're, you know, that concerned about protecting Ponder's shoulder, his not, his, why, if they're that concerned about protecting Christian Ponder where they're going to take him out for an injury to his non-throwing shoulder, it makes me feel like they're not that enthusiastic about bringing Freeman in until potentially the playoffs, if at all. I am so confused about what's going to happen with Freeman. We should talk about that a little bit later, but I think that that may... I think that may be relevant, although I think you might be reading just a little bit too much into it. Um, because, you know, at, at the time, they just needed to score the touchdown. They didn't need Ponder in for that. They were at the one-yard line. You know, Adrian Peterson, Matt Castle, whatever, something would happen, right? Um, so they get the touchdown, and then they're up. Uh, after that, um, if I recall correctly, the Redskins didn't score, Right. Right. So, I mean, you do want to build uh, insurance for yourself and, and, and build on the lead. Um, but, you know, I understand why you wouldn't put him in also if it, if it didn't seem, you know, crucial that, that he needed to be in, especially because at the, at the when it happened, he was holding his wrist. So I imagine the injury that's going to keep him out of potentially playing uh, in Seattle, if, if there is an injury that keeps him out of Seattle, will be the shoulder, but I think the reason he wasn't playing in the game was because he was holding his wrist. And they didn't, want, didn't really want to talk about that, didn't want to draw any attention to that since he had, you know, dislocated his shoulder and had it reinserted by the training staff on the sideline? Yeah. And, I mean, and he was, like, practicing some passes and stuff, too, so it's not like he, like, broke his arm or anything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he was holding his wrist, and so I feel like, you know, soreness there as well as the contribution of the, of the recently undislocated left shoulder um, probably contributed as well. Because, I mean, if you have a sore arm, it, it just, it cha- no matter how much, you don't want to change it. It'll change your throw a little bit. And with the way that Pondra was playing, I wouldn't want to change you know, anything. But if you change it a little bit, 
you know, he could be a little bit more confident in his arm than would be warranted with the with the fact that, you know, it had been injured. So, you know, maybe you know, I think there's a little bit more to it than this than 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 Josh Freeman speculation. But I am really curious about what's happening with. Freeman. Well, I've got plenty more uh, things to look too far into when we get to that point. But sure. uh, for now, we may as well re-mention uh, John Carlson and his hilarious career game. Because uh, he was able to make a few you know, pretty excellent receptions in the second half, too, including, I think, one from Matt Castle that was a uh, you know, fairly un-Matt Castle-like play as well. Well, there were, there were a couple of Matt Castle uh, plays that were un-Matt Castle-like. But yeah, let's talk about uh, you know, John Carlson first. Um, so in the fourth quarter, um, you know, he got a, you know, a couple of uh, passes that were, that were fairly normal, right? You know, he had like the two-yard pass on, uh, I believe, a play action. Um, and, uh, you know, whatnot, but, um, his last pass was a 17 yard gain where he was, where he was eventually, you know, taken down by Merriweather. Um, but that was, a, that was a pretty good looking pass, um, with, I think there were about six minutes left in the game, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, somewhere around there. Um, I think it was probably closer to five. Uh, and that was able to get the first down. Uh, and bring it to the Washington 24, uh, and that brought it well within what the Vikings would probably consider field goal range, uh, because after that, uh, you know, it was two runs and a short pass. Uh, so, um, you know, functionally, Carlson, you know, produced at a moment where the Vikings needed to lengthen uh, the lead uh, from, you know, from four to seven, uh, which was, you know, which was nice. So Matt Castle comes in. No one gets seriously hurt, and uh, he threw a couple. He threw at least one really good pass, and then he threw something to Jerome Simpson that made me question a whole lot of things about both of them. <laughs> what was he doing? What was he doing jumping for that ball? Well, okay, yeah. So I mean, that was the that was the really good pass, right? So the first pass to to Jerome Simpson was like whatever. Uh, it was incomplete. Uh, but you know, so it was on third. It was on third and nine, uh, basically at midfield, and he passes it for twenty-five yards, and it was it was beautiful. It was perfectly placed. Um, it led the receiver. You know, everything that you would want in in you know that sort of pass. You know, it happened, and it was it was really nice. Um, but you know, at the, when they showed the replay, Jerome Simpson jumps up for it, and I have no idea why, because it was placed in the bread basket, like. And, 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 like, when I mentioned this on Twitter, like, eight people were like, you know, this is Jerome Simpson, right? He just jumps all the time. There's, like, no reason or rhyme to it. He just does it. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it was perfect. How, I mean, if you jump for, like, a, a, a crappy pass that you didn't have to jump for, I mean, like, you didn't really lose a lot. But, I mean, for a pass like that, I, it just got me going again. And that was really annoying because he limited his opportunity to gain yards after the catch, which, you know, his, his thing is that he's kind of fast. And so if he can't get those additional yards after the catch, um, you know, well, then screw it. That, that sucks, man. But, I mean, good for catching a perfectly thrown pass, I guess. In a really, really not perfect way. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt Castle proceeds to drive it down a couple of times. Uh, let's kind of go in order here because after Matt Castle, or after the ponder injury and uh, Matt Castle leads the Vikings at the one to that handoff for Adrian Peterson to march in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just wanted to point out again that that touchdown, we took the lead with Matt Castle. 
God, people who are pointing so, that out. Were so just Christian Ponder so still hasn't gotten a win because Matt Castle just goes out there and wins games for the Vikings. Yeah, all Matt Castle does is win games, <laughs> yeah. except for that one where he started for us and he didn't. Well, but he's still, the only one is won games, right? So this is this is an important distinction. <laughs> so after after Ponder goes out, the defense came up just fired up, ready to sack. Yeah, well, I mean, when when that happened. You know, I was reminded of like, I mean, there's a there's a there's a constant story. There's not like a specific myth I can attach this to, but it reminded me of you know the story. Um, although now that I think about it, I think it might be Shakespearean uh, of uh, of uh, of a person who foretold his own death uh, in the middle of a battle. Am I thinking of Macbeth? I'm not. But uh, where uh, where he foresaw that he was going to die and that was going to rally his troops uh, to victory. Um, but then his wife saved his life, and so they lost the battle. Um, and I was like, if Christian Ponders are sacrificed for winning this game, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know if I feel terribly about that. I mean, I don't want him to be injured, right? But if his injury and you know subsequent like you know do it up toughness or whatever uh, is the reason they won, um, like okay. I mean, somebody on the defense was performing, and if it's because the defense finally figured out, uh, you know, that they needed to perform given sort of the fact that Christian Ponder was at least still trying to win games, you know, maybe. Although well, I think uh, Adrian Peterson's little, uh, I think AP's little uh, trot into the end zone might have fired some people up too. That was, a, that was a pretty great end zone dance. I like that much better than spinning the ball every play. Yeah, yeah. That was great. I mean, there's a lot so, of things about that play. One thing that uh, I don't know if it insulted me as a Vikings fan or just pissed me off so much because our defense was just that terrible up to that point, but the fake punt attempt by Washington <laughs> when we hadn't had a punt. Looks like they forgot to tell somebody about that. <laughs> like, that just bothered me so much. Like, I mean, I, we'd seen we'd seen teams go against us. And you're like, fourth. finally, they're punting. Oh, no, they're not. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly what I tweeted, too. It was like, oh, my God, we stopped them. We're about to punt. I'm about to seizure. And then they tried to. <laughs> he tried not to punt. Then they tried not to punt and, like, ruin our entire stop. And it turned out that they forgot to tell somebody, kicked him back five yards, and they they were forced to punt, basically. Yeah, the receiver like, found oh. out that his own team was running a fake punt because he follows Norse Code on Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a punt in, and then we proceed to stop him a couple times, and Kevin Williams just turns it on. Two third down stops, that's amazing. I mean, it's not like amazing in, in a football context, but for the Vikings, that is freaking amazing. <laughs> That's two more than we had during uh, the entirety of that whole uh, Packers game. We actually made them punt. It was great. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we, I mean, our standards are super low right now. Like, oh, we're, we're sitting here on this show like, oh, my God, we made them punt. And it's just like, yeah, all right. Dude, it's, it's, it's <laughs> That's 2, it's 2 a.m. <laughs> it's 2 a.m. We're outside the bar and some girl is talking to us. It's too dark. We can't actually see it. But some somebody's talking to us. Well, OK, so well, I mean, okay. but, th- but th- this is significant, though. Uh, on third down, the Redskins, I think. Uh, at some point in the game, we're something like seven for nine or eight for nine or something like that. You know, just some absurd third down rate. But they finish nine for sixteen. 
so it's pretty clear that the that the, in the second half the defense figured some things out and uh and you know you've written here in the notes that Kevin Williams talked about this a little bit and he said something like uh you know the coaches they didn't provide us with um you know like a new player or anything uh they just said you know it's on you guys you have to uh you have to execute it doesn't matter what we draw up you just have to execute it and you're not executing and so you know, he he took it to you know Frazier and the rest of the defensive coaches took it to the defensive, you know, uh, alignment to you know to step up. Although, you know, whether or not that made a difference, I don't actually think what the coaches told them made a made a huge difference because I doubt the coaches told them anything different in previous games either. Well, but, yeah, listening to Frazier say it in the press conference, and his quote was uh, Frazier's quote was, you know, we were v- just very very matter of fact about things that needed to change in the in the second half, and he he said it in a way where it was not like you know this is the thing that turned my guys around. You know, I gave them the I gave them a patent speech, and they came out and you know won one for the Gipper or whatever. He was just like, oh, whatever. We just told them what they needed to do, and for once they did it. Although he didn't say for <laughs> yeah. once. Well, yeah, he didn't say for once. Um, but yeah, I mean that was. Basically, that's that's sort of the impression I got away with it. Although a lot of people seem to be like, "Oh, you tell them that they're doing a bad job." Wow, that like totally fired them up. Like, like that was the problem that they just didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I doubt that that was the reason, but it is interesting that you know the defense was significantly better in the second half, which was you know one of the first times that we've seen that all season. In fact, that might be the first time we've seen it all season. If I, I, I'm, I'm trying to recall games where the Vikings uh, defense stepped it up in the second half and then it got worse, and I, and I feel like this is the first time. There were so many chances that the Vikings had to just give up on this game and be like, oh, no, it's happening again. I guess we'll just do the best we can. But they never did it. They never said speaking, die. Speaking of, let's talk about that last, uh, let's talk about that last drive by the Redskins. Oh, God. And and those and those timeouts that just dis, that that's really the reason why we're where all three of us are just like yeah well we won but I don't know what the hell we I won. suspect that 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 series alone created so many extra gray hairs among Vikings fans that just for men's sales we'll see a statistic, statistically significant like uptick yeah in the, in the Did Minneapolis you see area Greg though, Jennings yeah. you see Greg Jennings on the sidelines freaking yeah, out over furious. And he did, 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 I mean, deservedly so, because that was moronic. I can't get over how stupid that was. And I got a couple of tweets after the game was, well, actually, an hour after the game was over. You know, like, well, now that I think about it, it makes sense because you want, you know, you want time to to return and discuss. No, hey, no, because because the. Because it's forgetting the context of the game. The Redskins were scrambling and were having a terrible time managing their own clock, which I think is fairly familiar to Vikings fans. And I think if the if the if Vikings fans were remembering the other times they had those two minute drills where they were acting like they were in a four minute drill instead, and the other team took a timeout, they would be grateful for the reprieve, regardless of what the other team was trying to do, getting its personnel right, making sure that their team got a breather, making sure that they understood what the play was being called. It doesn't matter because the way the Redskins were just milking the clock like think about this uh in in the in the final uh minutes of the in, in the final minutes of the game um the uh the redskins go uh from like one minute and 20 seconds remaining uh to uh to like 46 seconds remaining uh in in about like two plays even though they're uh they're hurrying up no actually it's one play it took one minute 20 seconds uh they passed short middle to uh to to read uh, for 17 yards, 
uh, and then they get to 46 seconds, uh, and then and then pop off another play. They're well, they had already taken a delay point. of game in the previous series too, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're just clearly managing it poorly, very poorly. And uh, and so the I mean the first timeout was an issue for me because it happened immediately after uh, the uh, the the pass was uh, the pass was complete, right? So it was at uh, one minute and uh, and twenty eight seconds, and that they took the timeout at one minute and twenty seconds when really they could have waited a little bit uh, and milked the clock just a little bit more in order for them to game it. Um, but even then, I didn't think it made a lot of sense because you know the the Redskins were at the uh, Minnesota 25 when that timeout happened. And a lot of people were saying, well, if you expect the Redskins to score, then uh, you should reserve time for yourself. But even though the Vikings have a recent history of allowing those scores to happen, it's not like it's automatic when you, uh, it's not like it's automatic to score from 25 yards out, especially for a, a, a defense that, you know, was, or an offense that was, that was just in such a, a, a disarray. Um, with uh, with one minute and, uh, and and twenty seconds left in, in the fourth quarter on your opponent's twenty five, um, you know, assuming that it's like first and ten, um, the the probability of getting a touchdown or winning uh, is actually less than a quarter percent. It's it's point two four. You, you win less than a quarter of the time. You get that touchdown less than a quarter of the time, and uh, in and giving them that extra time is mind-boggling to me. Uh, and then they did it again immediately after a play was over. Um, and uh, and that, was, that was with 46 seconds left. And they were scrambling to set up. And then they didn't need to because the Vikings called a timeout. Um, and that's, that's the period where Greg Jennings was, was, uh, was going off on the sidelines uh, when he did that, uh, when Minnesota called a timeout with 38 seconds left. Um, I, I, I can't get over that, especially because, you know, if they score, right, if they score, uh, it, it probably won't take one play because they're, they're at the Minnesota four, right? It might take two plays. Like, on average, that would probably take something like two plays, right? If they score, that probably takes something like 10 seconds off the clock, right? That means you, re- you reserved yourself 28 seconds and one timeout in order to go back and, and get the field goal from, and assuming that they'll squib it, uh, from your own 35, you know, how often is that? <laughs> yeah, like I, I mean, I know they're the Vikings and I know we've all been watching, you know, the first half of the season, but doesn't it seem like just like really, really piss poor strategy to design your defense and manage the clock as though you expect the opponent to score a touchdown? Yeah, and if that's the case, if you, if you are willing to, here's the, here's the final thing, I think. If you are are playing as if your defense is going to give up that score and trying to preserve as much time as possible in that contingency, the only way that that makes sense is if you actually just allow that score to happen, period. Because if you're committed yeah. to thinking that score's going to happen... It's like, that, uh, it's like that play in a Super Bowl a while back. Like, okay, we, we know we're going we to like, let them score here, and then we're just going to drive it down the field again, but we're going to let them do it really quickly so we have time to do it. Yeah. We're not going to call timeout here. Yeah, exactly. And it would have given the Vikings uh, two or three timeouts. Uh, I mean, probably three. Uh, three timeouts with, um, with probably something like uh, a minute left as opposed to one timeout with 20 seconds left from their own 35. Like, come on. 
<laughs> Come on, just, man. Just absolutely, just absolutely just messed up. But the Vikings, uh, the Vikings won. Uh, they and did. In, def- in Despite defiance they of did God's not lose. will. I mean, but they tried to lose so will. hard and not even on purpose like they were tanking, <laughs> right? Like, um, I mean, we, we, we talked about this uh, earlier, right, when there was the – Jordan Reed was wide-ass open on the fourth down play, right, with, with Greenway just unable to cover him. Um, and there was another receiver that was open. I think it was Pierre Garçon. If not, it was Leonard Hankerson, both of whom would have been able to get in. Um, but on third down, dropped pass. On second down – dropped pass and i mean one of the drop the second down drop down uh drop pass was contested right but i mean it's not because the vikings defense was good that that happened it's not because they took the timeouts that that happened it's because they got really 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 lucky against a really young team so quarterback next week oh jesus uh no can i go with no can we just <laughs> well, let's just go with the, uh, the Air Force bombs the field. Well, I mean, we don't have to have a quarterback against Seattle, right? I mean, that's probably bad, given Richard Sherman and Brandon Brown and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. Why don't—I mean, Ellison will be, be healthy then, right? So you could just have Ellison and Rudolph and Carlson and Adrian Peterson and Jerome Felton, and uh, you get an extra skill player because you don't have a quarterback, uh, Greg Jennings. So we're just gonna have John Sullivan just be his own, uh, be the own, uh, just snap the ball by himself. Well, he, I mean, he's gonna snap it to Adrian Peterson or whoever. I don't obviously, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter who takes the snap. It would probably be Adrian Peterson most plays, and then maybe uh, maybe Kyle Rudolph and uh, maybe a, a few passes out to John Carl. I actually like this idea. <laughs> Let's just throw Joe Webb out there too, just to mess with him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Joe, sure. Joe right? Webb was out there. And and let's not forget, let's have Freeman out there, but let's not have him throw a single pass just to mess yeah. up. Oh, yeah, Josh Freeman, I'm sure, would make an excellent tight end. One last thing I wanted to mention <laughs> from the game was uh, we, we, I called out the Joe Webb watch uh, on the episode uh, from previous this week, and Arif was like, well, Joe Webb is an excellent run blocker, and what do we see in the fourth corner, quarter but Joe Webb out there blocking the run? Yeah, pretty good run blocking, too. He did very nice. Yeah. Um, just, uh, just, uh, once we mentioned Joe, I probably want to mention that, but yeah. Uh, so the quarterback for next week, um, I, it's okay. Well, so it depends on a couple of things. If Christian Ponder isn't injured, right. If, if he is, is fully healthy, it, it really depends on what the Vikings goals are. You know, if the Vikings are truly committed to thinking that they can win and put themselves in a position to get in the playoffs and the wild card or whatever, um, like maybe they think that because they won four in the last four games of the season that they can win, you know, eight in the last eight games of the season. Fine, more power to them. Then I would play Christian Ponder. I think he gives the team maybe the best chance of winning, um, while at the same time accomplishing the other goal of uh, figuring out, uh, you know, what they have. Because Matt Castle is Matt Castle. You know who you have with him. Um, otherwise, if he is if he is injured, then I think you go with Matt Castle. But if the goal is to figure out everything they need to in order to win next year, um, which is not necessarily a goal I support, but I think that you would, um, you would play Josh Freeman. Uh, personally, what I would do is, um, you know, obviously it would, it would depend on, on, on practice, but I would give Josh Freeman a lot of reps uh, over, the, over the week, regardless of who I was intending to start, to see where he is, because he has the most uncertainty in terms of, who, uh, in terms of how well he might play, 
Um, and so I want to get that uncertainty resolved immediately because I don't think I need to get as many reps for Matt Castle or as many reps for, for Christian Ponder to develop uh, a chemistry with the receivers. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be as concerned with game planning specifically for Seattle, especially because they run a, a very simple defense. They just happen to have elite players that run it. And so I would, I would try to get as much chemistry down for Josh Freeman as possible at the same time getting as much evaluative data as I can over the course of that week before naming a starter, probably Sunday morning. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, they, if they named Matt Castle, especially because I think they were asking, you know, they asked Frazier, you know, who's the quarterback going to be? And he's like, oh, well, we'll have to, you know, see about that. I don't know. Uh, but then they, then they were like, Christian Potter, what happens if you don't play? And Christian Potter said something like, oh, you know, Matt's pretty good. And so, I mean, yeah, yeah, he, he let it slip. He was like, well, if I can't make it, then I'm sure Matt will do a great job, which, you know, is not, you know, his purview. And he probably doesn't know for sure. But it sounds like just in the in the depth chart in his head as the starter, it's him. And then if it's not him, it's Matt. And it sounds like it, it, they really want it to be Ponder. I mean, uh, they uh, somebody asked him a question in the press conference about his relationship with uh, offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave and. Ponder's reply was, uh, was hilarious, partly for what it said and partly for what it didn't say. Because he said, uh, Bill's doing a great job of devising plays, and I'm having an opportunity to have more of a voice, you know, uh, asking me on the sideline, you know, what do you think of this? And through the week in the game, it was a continual conversation. I get to do more stuff with the hurry-up offense. We're able to increase the tempo. And uh, the specific lack of mention about Musgrave's great play calling ability and kind of <laughs> ponders uh, increased role in that department makes me think that, you know, he they really want him to be the guy. And I expect if we do see Freeman start again, it won't be until the playoffs. I mean, assuming the I mean, it's not like the Vikings will be in the playoffs. So you can read into that and uh, kind of infer that we will probably not be starting Josh Freeman. <laughs> Keep him as our playoff surprise package. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I, dude, uh, if last season was any it indicator, we need one. Joe <laughs> almost worked for Joe Webb. Almost worked for Joe Webb. Almost. Nowhere near worked for Joe Webb. <laughs> it almost worked for him in the sense that he got to try, but that's about it. <laughs> in that there existed so, a chance, I, I suppose, in like the realm of physical possibility, yeah. Yeah. So had a couple of uh, had a couple of mailbag questions here. Uh, first question is uh, something I'd kind of touched on earlier. Was Ponder's performance tonight more of a result of him playing really well or the Skins' defense playing really bad? I mean, like all things, both. <laughs> I mean, and when we, we talked about this a lot when we were talking about Ponder's play. Uh, he did things that an average quarterback would do a lot, but he did it at a rate better than average quarterbacks tend to do. And those things tend to just pop up, right? Like, I mean, random chance, that's just going to happen. Some quarterbacks are just going to string together um, a bunch of really good passes that, um, that, that are always capable of doing but don't always do consistently. And if, you know, if that happens randomly, then they'll, they'll string them together. Um, and so it is, it is notable that he did something that an average quarterback does at a rate better than an average quarterback does. Um, so that, that is a good thing. It's not a great thing. It's a good thing. Um, but I mean, the, I mean, I mentioned this, uh, you know, when I was talking about the Redskins defense, uh, you know, last, uh, or in our preview episode. And also I was writing about this a little bit. I mean, the Redskins defense, it, it gets turnovers and they're like pretty decent at it, 
but they also like give up a lot of plays and they give up a lot of big plays and they like to play in you know, a very aggressive zone defense in order to do it and sometimes that's just sort of what happens. So I think the Skins defense was 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 both bad and Ponder was both better than he normally plays and that combined to produce a, a pretty great game for Ponder. I agree. I think it was outlying performances on both ends of the spectrum for both of them. Ponder played like an average quarterback, which, as we have seen, is significantly better than average for Ponder. And the Skins' defense, while not very good, managed to play even worse. Uh, aside from the first two and a half minutes of the game, they were great there. But uh, for the other, you know, 57 and a half, they were mediocre at best. Yeah. So... Question, is Kevin Williams as country as Randy Moss? No, nowhere near as country as Randy Moss. Pat Williams, that dude is super country. That dude is the most country person I've ever met that played for the Vikings. But, no. Even, even more country than, uh, than Jared Allen? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Jared Allen, obviously very country. Uh, huge proponent uh, of, of country things, but... Uh, Pat Williams, his his Louisiana accent is so hard to understand that people who had covered him his entire career are still having trouble. <laughs> it is nuts. <laughs> Some quotes attributed to Pat Williams may not have actually been said by Pat Williams. It's entirely possible. Like are you talking to that guy is so difficult because of his his really heavy Louisiana accent, and he always, he like refers to Louisiana idioms that it's not that he expects everyone to know them. He just doesn't care. Uh, to parse out what idioms are specific to the way he was brought up and what idioms are, are not. And That's so, just the only way he can think of it relationally? Yeah, and so he'll, he'll just say, like, yeah, so he'll just, like, say something, and you're like, wow, that was really, that was really down home. Uh, I don't know what that means, though. <laughs> um, I feel like so, a better question would be, is Kevin Williams as country as Christian Ponder? Uh, yeah, Kevin Williams is way more country than Christian Ponder. There's, like, a huge spectrum here. Right, this is like, <laughs> like I mean, Christian Ponder is not like the most. He's right? not like Louisiana uh, but, country, but you know, he's he's no, a he, Texas boy. He did some he did some time at uh, he did some time at uh, Florida State and all, but no, he, he's not. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, and he's not the least country person on the team. <laughs> um, you know, I, unfortunately, Blair James Walsh, Vandenberg I'm is looking in your direction. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Frankie Muniz? <laughs> hey, Blair Walsh is at least from Georgia and supports Georgia sports. I mean, he's a bulldog. Okay. So and he's got that going for him. What about Jeff Locke from UCLA, economics major? I think he's working on his economics master. He's written papers about politics and nerdy things. Oh, that guy's country, and the country is China. <laughs> so I think Jeff Locke is on one, <laughs> one end of the spectrum. Jeff um, Locke isn't actually Chinese, is he? That would be racist. No, I, I'm pretty sure he's not Chinese. So I, I'm <laughs> I pretty think sure so. that you're pretty sure that you're fine. Just, just, we just wanted to be clear. Just wanted to clear exactly. that up. So, so besides uh, Bridgewater, Mariota, Nix, and uh, Clowney, are there any players the Vikings would need slash want in the top fifteen or top twenty? Um, again, I'm not a huge draft expert, but um, you know, I, you know I, I, I talk to a bunch of them, and so that makes me one. Um, <laughs> I would say that uh, two defensive players that stand out, are, are, and we mentioned this in the last podcast, uh, Anthony Barr from, uh, from UCLA. Uh, he's been playing lights out as a pass rusher and outside linebacker. And you know, a lot of people think that he might be a 3-4 outside linebacker only. And you know, maybe that's true, but we don't even know what defensive scheme the Vikings will have next year because I doubt we have the same coaching staff. So I don't think that we should consider our drafting prospects as if, they, um, as if they're fit to a particular scheme. So that's one guy. And then Khalil Mack is another guy. Um, you know, from Buffalo, he, uh, he plays in a relatively easy conference, 
but um, you know he's he's still fantastic. He has something like seven interceptions and, and four sacks or five sacks this year. Um, a lot of pass deflections, a ton of tackles. Uh, he has played as a 3-4 outside linebacker. He's played as a 4-3 inside linebacker or a 3-4 inside linebacker, and he could even play as you know a 4-3 defensive end if, he, if he's asked to. He's one of those guys who, you know, if you consider, you know, tweener is generally uh, you know, undesirable because they're in between two things, but they're neither. But he is, he is both. So he is sort of like a, a super tweener, if you will, in terms of the things that he can do as a linebacker and as a defensive end. You know, so he's definitely worth considering. Um, you know, other top prospects are not really fit, don't really fit like sort of what the Vikings need. Uh, Jake Matthews and Taylor Luan. You know, as dirty as Taylor Luan's play against Michigan State was, he's still a pretty top-tier tackle. Um, but there's no reason to get either of them. Um, you know, a lot of people might consider, you know, Johnny Manziel, uh, and I think that he's definitely worth consideration because you know he's he's a he's a you know, premier talent uh, in college that whose skills uh, might do a lot better job translating uh, to the NFL than than a lot of other people in his situation like Colin Klein or Tim Tebow. Um, so those are people um, that are that are definitely worth considering. I didn't obviously go over everybody that would be in the top fifteen, um, but I think that you know all of those people are are, are in the discussion. Rashid Hageman is another guy that I like a lot that I mentioned in the last podcast too. Last question before we, uh, before we're done with this one, if the Vikings miss out on QBs, who would you uh, want them to take assuming they are in the top five? Yeah, so it's basically the same question. Um, but uh, you know, the, if they're in the top five, that's basically Jadevian Clowney. Um, and if it's not Jadevian Clowney, uh, it depends on the scheme, but Anthony Barr, if it's not Anthony Barr, like I said, it's probably Khalil Mack. I think all of those guys, uh, and they're all pass rushers, too, which is sort of interesting. But I think all of those guys could really help the Vikings out. The only other guy that I think is probably within that talent level or talent pool, like I said, is Jake Matthews, who's an offensive tackle and does not really fit um, sort of the Vikings' need profile. Um, so those are the guys. I think we've just completed our emergency podcast after a Vikings win. Yeah. Because anything that constitutes an emergency, it's a Vikings win. <laughs> Bend down the hatches. Yeah, we had uh, we talked about possibly doing this shortly uh, after we had discovered. Oh yeah, the Vikings are playing on a Thursday. <laughs> we should probably do something about that. Yeah, not you know stop them, but we should have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what the Vikings are going to play? Well, we'll see about yeah, that. Well, <laughs> not if I have anything to say about it. There was as somebody had, uh, I had I had had I had to mention this, the the, the post during the first uh, during the first drive on NFL Network that said the uh, the Redskins hadn't had a touchdown on their first drive of the year. My response was, "Oh, well, we'll fix that." <laughs> they they work hard. We we should we should give them this. Ugh, ridiculous. But the Vikings accomplished their goal. They vanquished the Washington team with no name. <laughs> the Washington uh, Buffalo Jockeys. Yeah, uh, did, the Little Generals. Did we get any news about the planned protest? Did that end up happening? Was it successful in getting anything done? Getting anything done? No. Well, I mean, but that would include media attention. Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, I don't think that the reasonable standard to evaluate their success is whether or not the Redskins decided to change their name midway through the game. But... I don't know. I think I think I would count that a success if they had done that. Well, Literally yeah, hundreds of people cool. rallied against the uh, against the Redskins name 
outside the Mall of America field, which the uh, AP article... If you call it that, if you call it that again, I will never talk well, luck- <laughs> ever again. Well, yeah, man, it's the Metrodome, please. Luckily, the Your AP article uh, linked to you by USA Today calls it the Metrodome, so there you go. Yeah, see? Aaron, or not, there was a... Uh, um, NFC North blogger or former NFC North blogger Kevin Seifert cleared this all up a couple weeks ago when it was declared that the building is still referred to as the Metrodome, but the field itself is referred to as Mall of America How Field. Refer so to only the field. Listen, I don't understand it. This is just. This is just how they have decided it they is. They do it in Denver, too. They call it uh, Sports Authority Field at Mile High, but they're not allowed to call it Mile High Stadium because that would violate Sports Authority's very expensive naming rights. Uh, okay. I imagine the newspapers could call it Mile High Stadium if they wanted, though. Uh, sports Star right. people do all the time. Yeah. Exactly. And the I'm sure in the next stadium there like certain parts of the field are gonna be named after certain things. So like one end zone is gonna be sponsored by like by Grain Belt and, uh, and the other's the other is gonna be Surly Furious. And Pierre Garcon rolls into the end zone. Uh, um, excuse me, rolls into the Chick-fil-A end zone. <laughs> you you laugh, but it's gonna happen. Five years from now, it's gonna be the the GMC drive to live event end zone and the chick-fil-a end zone (laughs) the chick-fil-a end zone could actually happen as i was leaving the cities the last time i was there i did see a billboard for chick-fil-a so it's entirely possible with that expansion into the the city so so i'm I'm just waiting you won't be able to get one uh, on a sunday i'm I'm waiting for like paul allen to be like well after pierre garçon drove into the gmc live to drive end zone it's going to take a lot for the vikings to drive down the field and get blair walsh to you know kick it through 3m field goal (laughs) <laughs> oh he's in the menards red zone oh god oh, oh no uh, the target red zone at least made a little sense no no we're, we're we're not going target we've had too we have too many target fields we're going straight to menards so why not make them smaller why not make them target end zones target end zones <laughs> that's 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 terrible well, and on that wonderful bombshell, I do believe that'll be it for this oh, one. Note, one note, last note I want to make about the uh, about the uh, Native American protest. Uh, one notable attendant was former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura, who spoke to the what? and why not? Who spoke to the crowd, saying he always tried to avoid saying Redskins when covering the team as a sports broadcaster. I wonder if he checked to see what? if the media would be able to fact check him on that before he said it. Wasn't he a, a broadcaster for the XFL? Yes. When did that come up? Uh, I don't know, but he's probably been on, like, he's probably had guest spots on, like, AM radio or, or, okay, or something. Yeah, I don't sure. know. Or if, you know, or, or if they have, like, a, a former Redskins wrestler. player or something, but. Well, he, he didn't say that he never said it. He said that I tried to avoid calling it that. <laughs> well, he is a former governor. He, uh, I, I just want to point out that if, I want to just point out that if Jesse Ventura is good at anything, it's good at not offending groups of people. <laughs> 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 I, for one, believe Mr. Sensitivity. (laughs) (laughs) Slow clap, Mr. Pagachnik. Slow clap. All right. We're we're ending on that. We're ending on that because we're not going to do any better. All right. So this has been Norse Code. Uh, Dusty, you want to hit us up? And uh, Arif, you want to give us the information on how you can contact us? Uh, Go for sure. it. I don't exactly know what you're asking Dusty to do, but I'll give you the information to contact <laughs> us. If you uh, have a question you want to ask us, you can either tweet directly at us at Norse Code DN, uh, at Arif Hassan DN, 
And you can also talk to the two other creators of the show, at Big Mono or at L underscore Desto. I'm sure if you ask them questions, they'd be willing to answer them on the podcast as well. Uh, or you could uh, leave a comment in the thread that we, uh, that we post these in on the, at thedailynorseman.com. Or you could email us. You could email us at norsecodepodcast at gmail.com. Or you could email me uh, at arifmhassan at gmail.com. Uh, either of those emails will work to get things on the show if you want to ask us questions for the show or if you want to contact us for uh, any other uh, reason. Indeed. Well, that's going to be it. Dusty, what is our formula? Our formula is this. We go out and we hit people in the mouth. We'll see you next week. Norse Code is the official podcast of the Daily Norseman SB Nation blog and is produced with cooperation from Pompous Jerk Productions. Pompous Jerk Productions. Attitude with Attitude. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of their contributors and do not reflect official positions of the Minnesota Vikings, SB Nation, the Daily Norseman staff, or PJP. No information in this podcast should be construed as gambling advice. Please obey all local gaming laws. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth.